0: Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 106. you got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to talk some more about shooting guns in the dark um, when it's cold with uh, very aggressive um, accuracy and time hacks to be made.
1: Absolutely. Um, while, while most of you were sitting at home warm and cozy, probably with a delicious beverage in your hand and some type of unhealthy snack food, watching OSU get their butt spanked by Ala- Was it Alabama? Through a sports ball? I don't know. It was big sweaty men running into other big sweaty men. Um, and so, yeah, while you guys were watching some kind of asterisk national championship game, asterisk. Um, so that is the good news because you got spanked, but it's with an asterisk. Uh, but anyway, uh, while you guys were watching that game, uh, there were a few hearty souls um, who chose to engage in something more meaningful. Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble for that, aren't I? I'm gonna get flamed. I can hear the buckeyes smashing against each other and the teeth gnashing and people freaking out right now. Anyway, uh, we went to the range and we we did uh, we did silly reindeer games in the cold and in the dark, like Brian said. Um, we did a, a, a series of drills that, like Brian said, involved some pretty tight accuracy standards, probably shooting four by four ish negatives,
0: or six by six, whatever. Six, the, so, basically, the, on an IPSC target. Uh, we were using negative targets, and they were cut out from the top of the A zone to the letter A.
1: Yeah, j- like just a little smaller than half of the A zone. Yeah. Um, as negative targets, um, it, in and running some drills, transitioning from target to target and from near to far as well, and then working our way into some other arrays and things of that nature, both rifle and handgun. Uh, distances were relatively close. Um, we were running...
0: Anything from five to thirty-five ish yards. Yeah,
1: five to thirty-five yards. Um, and, and, you know, but but almost all multiple target. Uh, and and I think kind of the intent of those drills was to work target to target engagement, but then also to work near to far engagement. Uh, under, and there, we were, I don't know if there were prescribed time hacks for those or what the par times would have been. Um, we were running them just basically as fast as you could do them and make and make the non hits and the negative target. Yeah. Uh, bat, bat, Batman approved.
0: So. yeah. Uh, starting out, we did the Ben Stoker distance changeup, um, with, I guess, a little bit of a changeup on the way we did it because yeah. the targets were the two. Cl- so there's two close targets at five yards. They're supposed to be about a target width apart. They were actually probably two yards apart. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the far target is at 15 yards. Um, the, I think the true drill is two rounds per target. Yep. And then two round, um, Cheap body shots on the close targets and headshots on the far target. Um, we changed that up from an ammo perspective of one round per target and then um, still doing one one headshot on the far target.
1: And also ran some dry rounds previous to yeah. those. Uh, you know, obviously you're only going to get one click, but you can find your sight picture where it's supposed to be, find your sight picture where it's supposed to be, and find your sight picture where it's supposed to be without getting a click. So it's not something where you've got to, you know, recock the weapon every time or re-engage the... the a hammer every time so you get a click uh, we did run some of those dry as well just for that visual aspect to kind of dri- you know kind of grease that groove um, and, and yeah. working out
0: lighting issues yep. and equipment things and whatnot too
1: absolutely so um you know without getting into i don't know if we want to discuss the you know the times i would say generally um even with just one hit on three different targets in the dark uh the rifle times were were three-ish
0: yeah i'd say if you're going to set a part-time on this doing the way we did it Like three and a half is pretty safe as a part time. That's that. Yeah, Um, that's a lot of time. I want to say all of us were comfortably under three seconds. Yeah. um, By the third time we did it.
1: Yeah, and so um, you know, and bearing in mind, we're we're looking for guys to run a light on the target, make the hit, transition to target, light comes back on, Um, or where we. I mean, some of us were sweeping. Okay, so some of us were sweeping, some of us weren't. Um, you know, but just running those target-to-target transitions, and make sure you're finding that sweet spot. Um, it's interesting to do some of this stuff in the dark, because when you start talking about three single targets with single hits um, in the daylight, that you're, you're literally, you're cutting your time in half, and I think one of the big issues with that is when you're running the sweep from target-to-target, generally... You would look at the next target and bring your sights over in front of you. The problem is in the dark, you can't necessarily see your next target, depending on how far apart it is or whatever. So there's a, some of those visual cues are lost, and it slows things down a little bit, or you don't have as as distinct of a visual cue. You've got it in the spill of whatever light you're rocking. Um, back to bright lights win the game. Um, but anyway, so you know it was that kind of that finding that next target and then getting on it and etc. And doing that in the dark is a little different than doing it in the daylight. Um, so pretty pretty interesting, not a visual acuity drill, but just trying to get things where they need to be quickly.
0: Yeah, um, and you know this is one of those drills where normally you'd get the entire A zone, so much more forgiving from a yeah. mechanical offset standpoint. Um, shooting only, effectively only having that upper A zone as an acceptable hit area, um, sight offset became important, um, and it changed a little bit from 5 yards to 15 yards. This, but and and go to the head box. Yeah, and yeah. go to the
1: head box, too, which is a 5x5. Five five. So, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting because a 6x6, six six, generally if you're holding in the middle of it, offset doesn't matter. But if you're holding in the middle of it and you get sloppy with a trigger, um, you, you, you're starting to cut the edge. Um, we were seeing a, a – if, if we had misses, they were within an inch of that cut box on guys trying to run fast, and that's probably trigger control concerns or mm-hmm. just not getting as fine of – sight picture refinement as was necessary to keep it in that box um all all of the quote unquote misses would have been a really bad day for the bad guy because most of the time they were pretty well centered up on the spinal column yeah Um, and then you know like i said maybe a half inch to an inch at most outside of the box Um, misses nonetheless because part of the point of this was to make sure that you had the dot or whatever aiming device you were running where it needed to be to be inside you know we're calling that a tight a tight zone on that size target compared to what most people use, but for a rifle, that's not really a tight shot. It's just something you need to resolve and make it happen. In the reality check, the difference between a hit and a miss was not that much time to take just that beat and get things where they needed to be.
0: Yeah, we're so, generally thinking like probably less than a tenth of a second. Yeah, for sure. Definitely less than two tenths of a second. For
1: sure. For sure. And and also the preparation to if you, you know, again understanding sight offset, um, you know, a lot of guys are weird about sight offset. Um, you know, if, if you, if you don't think about coming into the box high, especially the head box, if you don't think about that cranio shot being holding a hairline or, or two inches above the eyebrows or whatever the case may be, if you're not already thinking in that way, then it gets you in trouble. Um, in, in this case, I don't really think you needed to think in that manner, but if you got it in your mind, you were coming in the box high, you're probably in the right part of the heart lung area anyway, for the most vasculature and for the most likelihood of, that heart shot, spine shot, et cetera, doing as much damage as possible, as quickly as possible. So, you know, again, um, the targets, the way so many targets are made uh, with these lower zones, especially the bottom half of the A zone, it's not that I, you know, I'm not, the, oh, I want a good shot there. Uh, you know, it's nothing like that, but I mean, the reality check is if you look at where the vasculature is, you look at, you know, anatomy, um, I, I, I want to chase really the top end of that A zone, um, and maybe even a little higher than that in some cases, but that's, so just kind of working on that mentality of where I'm putting the dot on the target versus, Hey, here's a great big cardboard thing. Kind of put it in the middle. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And, and this is a, you know, the ID, the, the USPSA guys go fast, don't suck. Um, this was a go fast, don't suck, um, with a rifle with the pistol. It was definitely, you know, a, a 20 or 25 or 30 yard shot on a six inch well, on this,
0: this this drill we were still at 15.
1: Well, I know but I'm just saying yeah. though but pushing out further on those negatives um, became quite a bit more challenging um, and it was' and, you know at that point it wasn't a go fast don't suck it was make the hit
0: so, yeah. Uh, yeah we ran the distance change up with the hand yen I think a really good time was around four seconds yeah um, acceptable part times were probably around five
1: yeah yeah um, and again that sounds slow for you know three targets three shots but you're manipulating a weapon light. Um, everybody was running out of wintertime gear. Uh, you know, there, if, if anybody who was rocking an outside the waistband holster or an exposed holster was generally running one that had retention. Um, some Safari Land rigs there, which you can make work pretty well with some practice. Um, one of our guys there was running his full Leo kit, his full, like, on-the-street kit, um, and still posted some really good times because he's a squared away dude and gets lots of reps in. Um, and, and he was lamenting not running that gear for a while, um, as somebody who doesn't spend as much time on the street as he used to. Uh, but still, you know, it, it's just interesting to watch guys who who have the patterns down, even if they haven't been in that pattern recently. It's still there. So, yeah. yeah and, I'd, and again, I, th- I think five seconds, um, a, a one and a half to two second, to get out of a, a, ret- a retention holster and on the target with a shot manipulating a light in the dark, I think two seconds for that's not anywhere near unreasonable. Yep. Not that you can't do it a lot faster, but I don't think that's unreasonable. Yep. And we had, a, and I think those standards were generally met. I would say we had some guys, you know, myself, I know that I was probably a little slow on that. I mean, two seconds was probably a decent cut for me until I kind of got grooved in a little bit again. So, But it was nice to run that gear because it's not what I run. I intentionally don't run go to war gear because I'm an old fat guy who's probably not going to war. Although, watch the freaking news nowadays. Who knows? So, anyway, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, on that drill, you had switched up your lighting to some extent, hadn't you? I mean, hadn't your did didn't you go to like a pressure switch in a different location? Yeah, or so, make some modifications. A
0: um, couple, couple podcasts ago. I talked about you know running the cloud defensive REIN light with the pressure pad for the first time. Yeah. And I was initially running that light on a KDG uh M quick detach mount okay. Julio thing. Um, it had the pressure pad moved up a little bit too far. Um, I've since moved the pressure pad back to about middle of a ten inch rail, a okay. uh, ten inch PCM rail. Yeah. And then move that light over to one of the cloud defensive, their M lock 45 degree kind of an offset offset mount. mount. I think it's the offset SBR mount, uh, which brings the light in a lot tighter to the rail. um, Fixed all those ergonomic problems. Yeah. And got got the switch to where I'm not trying to, especially with gloves on, I'm not being pushed off of the switch in the light. And it just solved all kinds of ergonomic problems. Yeah. Um, kinda like they intended it to be.
1: Well, and yeah, I just said you get you, you eliminated some ergonomic problems that were just surely based yeah. on placement. Nothing to do with the light or the system. Um but but you know, that again, why we go out and train and why we test the gear. Um it was funny because the night that you were you that you were unhappy with the placement and how you'd set it up, but nobody else could tell. You had one iteration where you had a hard time getting on the button initially and it was one of the very first ones. Yeah. So it was like, oh, that's where it's at and he, and even that was like if if you didn't know what was going on you wouldn't have known you were having problems um the difference you know so
0: well that night uh, i'd actually pretty much given up on the pressure pad and was having to go to the the button on the back of the light so
1: over the gun to the button long yeah. reach okay so yes i mean you know guys and this these are some of the things you learn um when you go out in the dark and and train and i'm going to i'm going to break into i'm going to interrupt our previously scheduled program with the ideas that we talked about Um, you know, when you talk to dudes who are professionals at arms at a fairly high level, um, they, they train and they do crazy shit. Like they blindfold themselves and take their guns apart, blindfolded and put them back together. And they have a certain intimacy with their gear and it's not just their gun. It's their kit too. Um, there's a dude on Instagram, um, who's a, he's a SWAT cop out in California. He has a training facility, Um, and if his name hits me, I'll, I'll share with you at some point, but the guy's a big muscle bound goon of a dude. He's all tatted up. He's got his beard going and, and he's a SIG guy. He runs a lot of SIG stuff. Um, and, and he's, he's just a freaking stud, man. This guy shoots small targets at distances really goddamn fast. He gets the gun out quick. He gets the gun put away quick. He does a whole bunch of videos running low-light stuff, and one of the things that he talks about on a regular basis is going out and doing stuff with nods on um, is essentially like blindfolding yourself, because you can't look down to see where you're reaching for something if you don't know where it's at on your kit, whether it be a mag or whether it be a tool. If If you use a um, some type of uh, multi-tool to clear like a bolt override or something like that on an AR, there's no looking down to see what pocket it's in when you're wearing knots. You're going to flip them up out of the way and go searching around, which is a lot of extra time. Um, you know, my, my dad was a law enforcement officer for 30 years, spent a lot of time, you know, with a, with a tactical unit here locally, um, you know, two decades with a tactical unit here locally, and talked a lot about just knowing exactly what pocket stuff is in, what pouch stuff is in. Um, There's an intimacy there that you you really can't gain other than by doing things like blindfolding yourself and messing with your kit or going in a dark room and messing with your kit. But when you get an opportunity to go on the range and do live stuff, once you're safe with the gun to be in the dark and running the gun competently by feel, um, all the other stuff that goes along with it is really kind of gels together. Because the lessons are a lot more frustrating because you can't just look at them to solve them typically. You've got to know where stuff's at. So there's an intimacy there that, you know, carrying your gun and carrying the same gun in the same place with the same systems. Uh, whether it be, uh, you know, I run a pressure switch on my X300. Knowing that I don't have to go for a button, a flippy switch, or whatever. Uh, you know, that, just those kind of things. And like Brian setting his gun up and, and then making the changes because it wasn't just exactly spot on and now it is that's how you find out is there's the trial and error aspect of actually going out in the dark and doing it because you know, doing it in your basement where you're setting your stuff up and you don't flip the lights out, you don't know.
0: Yeah. So it's um, so
1: a little interlude there. You one know.
0: Of, and to, to piggyback on that, one yeah. of our, one of the guys that joined us had commented that there's the difference between shooting in the dark and training in the dark, especially on the LE side, you know, if, every once in a while you do a drill where you're in your indoor range and turn lights out Yeah. and you shoot the drill and then turn the lights back on. Um, You fired some shots in the dark, but you haven't actually trained in the dark.
1: Absolutely. I think there's a certain aspect um, to immersion in that regard, Um, you know, where, where you, and I would say it's very similar to like kit having kit on in the water. Um, If you're out of the water and you're messing with your stuff and you jump in and swim a couple laps, that's fine and dandy. But when you get back out of the pool, Um, it's different to be in the pool for a couple hours with stuff on same thing with working out with your kid on throwing your stuff on, you know, if you wear your plate carrier to the gym and move around and stuff like that, you'll learn, you'll, you'll learn where it chafes you and where you don't like it, but you'll also get used to the weight and how it moves and where things are at in different positions, uh, standing up straight is one thing, but when you do a burpee, um, you know, where's it moving around on your, there's these other kinds of things like that. Um, and that's the same kind of mentality, um, just having, and again, it's back around to, um, you know, having a piano does not make you a pianist. Knowing how to play a piano makes you a pianist. So that kind of mentality where getting out and using your gear and getting the reps in is the only way you're going to get that kind of comfortable with it. Um, but it also does speak to doing other things in your gear if you're comfortable with that and you can get away with it, like going for a walk or a ruck with your play carrier on. Um, you know, you might freak out the natives a little bit, but, you know, screw those guys. They're probably soft anyway. So, no big deal. Yeah. It. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I don't I don't want to beat on that too much. Um but there's a big difference between someone flipping the lights out, running a drill and flipping the lights back on versus walking onto the range and it's dark and in, the in the basement and saying, "Hey, we're going to do, you know, for the next 3 hours mm-hmm. we're going to be in the dark. Get get freaking used to it." Yeah. Um some other things you learn too. Handling flashlights administratively around other people and stuff like that. Um you, you learn not to be the butthole with the L-shaped flashlight on your vest, blinding everyone. You know who you are from Monday night. Um, you learn what kind of tools to work, you know, understanding that, like, the we all wear the headlamps, but we wear them around our neck pointed kind of down at the ground. Um, Mac J was, I, I think, probably was one of the first guys I saw do that, and I was wearing mine on my head because that's where I've worn it camping and backpacking and stuff like that. Yeah. And it just, you really don't need to look out in the world so much as you need to be able to see what your hands are doing, if you're loading mags or this, that, or, or pasting targets or whatever. And I notice most of us now just wear them around our necks and we're not blinding everybody as we walk around. Um, those are some courtesy kind of things that you learn too, um, that maybe at some point turn into a safety concern as a, is, is a good habit to be in, not blinding your buddies. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so that, like I said, little interlude there, a little, little side note, um, but I think Definitely worth mentioning because it was probably one of the takeaways from that night was being out in the gear, with, being out in your kit in the dark for an extended period of time doing stuff and having to just figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I intentionally, I, I will have a conversation about lights some other time, but I, I wetted out another Surefire that's that's now dead, it's not deceased, and I chose not to put another flashlight in my pocket that night because I wanted to be able to do everything by feel, because I hadn't run the war belt in a while, and wanted to say, okay, where's everything at as I go through this? So you know, something to think about, so, something to try. Mm-hmm. Cool. Safely, try it safely. Yeah. Know what you're doing. Try it safely. No bangy bangy when you don't
0: know want bangy bangy. Cool. Um all Talk right. about into some of the other drills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So some of the other drills, um, we had the we took the distance change up targets. We had three other backers, you know, all still cut with that up and cut out uh, arrayed. Basically a ninety degree arc, um, or the range where we're able to do this at, um, we are able to do more than just have things immediately downrange. Uh, we try to try to use that very safely and you know responsibly um, from time to time. Uh, yeah, it had targets again anywhere you were from say five to thirty five yards yep. in that ninety degree arc, and kind of replicating you know being in a Bad situation where you've got multiple bad guys uh, trying to flank you, trying to pin you down. Yeah. Um, you know, again, from an engagement standpoint, it was run, one round per target, um, just being cognizant of ammo usage. Um, everybody there is fully capable of burning a target to the ground. Uh, yeah. We didn't yeah. necessarily need yeah. to practice that that yeah. night.
1: Yeah. This, this was more about getting to a position, starting off on the X, addressing Something that's a tactical priority, um, you know, either immediately and then moving to the cover, or as you move to cover, um, and then using a, a piece of cover that was a hell of a lot smaller than you would have liked it to have been. Which right. I would say, you know, in the real world, uh, there are probably a lot of times where somebody finds that chunk of concrete and wished it was a whole lot bigger than it was. Um, so in this case,
0: two fifty-five gallon barrels yeah. stacked stacked up, um, so it was a four four barrels total. Yeah, so yeah, two um, two
1: barrels. Two barrels stacked next to each other at a slight angle to give you a little more cover than just a post would have kind of deal. And the idea, again, get to that piece of cover, um, use cover appropriately, punch out, make the hit, come back behind cover, come out someplace else, make another hit, come back behind cover someplace else, make another hit, etc. Understanding that there's a conversation around, you've already bought the real estate, you know, working with that tactical priority as you can see targets, you engage them. Um, and then light off and then move into the next position and, and then getting the gun lined up, getting your, getting your sight alignment and then punching out, hitting the light, finding your sight picture and taking the shot quickly and then getting back behind cover. Or if there was another target close by, maybe going ahead and engaging it quickly. But you're doing all that rapidly, not sitting in the same hole, waiting for the Crimson flowering crimson
0: blossom of death,
1: crimson blossom of death, meaning you stuck your head out for too damn long and somebody pasted it for you,
0: or you kept on popping your head out in the same place, or that
1: exactly, or that. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess guys that have been there and done that will tell you, you know, that that is that is a very, very critical thing. If a bad guy sees you pop up somewhere, guess where they're going to focus for a little while until they get bored, um, and somebody shoots on them from somewhere else, they're probably going to watch that spot um, and keep an eye on that and might even come back to it afterward. And you know, if your head pops up there and their sights are lined up. Uh, you are way behind the power curve. Um, probably did a tune of like 2,500 foot per second or more. So yeah. don't do that. So, um, I, I, Takeaways from that, um, I, I don't know what the takeaways were from that were other than I, I just really, I, guys will ask us all the time about, you know, if you're running a line and you're going to do really need night sights. Yes. Um, I, I, I think yes. I think that the ability to know that I'm exactly perfectly re- refined on my sight alignment and I know generally where the target's at because I got a blast of it from my light when I engaged the last target and saw it. Um, having, having that gun up and having it lined up to the nth degree and then popping out and knowing that I'm already there, to me, I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm maybe I'm not good enough that if I had perfect muscle memory, I wouldn't have to worry about it. I don't know. But I like having that. I like knowing everything's where I need it to be before I pop that light on so I can, it feels like I engage quicker. Yeah. So maybe that's a training thing. Maybe there's a tactic out there. Somebody's going to tell me that's wrong. That's cool. I'd love to hear it and love to hear the why of it. Um, but I like it. And that's why I think having night sights on guns, even with lights on them, is a big deal.
0: Well, one of the, the other things we found, and it didn't so much come into play this <clears> time, but on other training occasions where we've had you know, a full moon and yeah. starlight, starlight, yeah. Uh, a lot of times there's enough, yes. especially inside of 10 yards, there's enough ambient illumination from the environment that you yep. don't you don't need to put the light on. Um, you can just use the night sights and get the yep. job done.
1: Absolutely, uh, assuming that there's been some manner of you know PID already accomplished. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and that may be uh, you know there was there was a muscle flash and the guy just shot at me, and I, I or I lit him up a minute ago. You know, a second ago, and he was still the bad guy. And I get the PID every time. Every time you pull the trigger. Um, so, you know, be cautious with that. But there are definitely times where there's, if you don't, you know, if it's a bad enough situation and it's, you're in the combats, flicking that light on draws attention to you. Um, it lets you PID. So it's necessary the vast majority of the time. But if you're in a lucky enough situation to find yourself not needing to illuminate where you're at, then you can take the shot. sights let you do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole ethical, moral, professional conversation around all that. That's probably a little deeper than what we could cover in a podcast. That's a topic right now anyway. So probably its own podcast. Anyway. Yeah. So um anything else on that particular drill or do we want to go to the to the other stuff?
0: Um, one of the I'd say one of the other things from that particular drill, um, uh, because we were using targets that were, you know, either kind of ninety degrees to the left. Yeah. Or so nine o'clock targets and then twelve o'clock targets. Yeah. And everywhere in between. Um, If you were engaging the nine o'clock target, (coughs) making sure you didn't back up off the cover such that you were exposed to the twelve o'clock target. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Because that happened to a number of people. Um, You know, kind of being you know, we've always trained to like you know, be off the cover, don't hug cover. Well, that kind of changes a little bit once we've got we've got engagements from multiple directions. Um, Angles become much more important. Yep. You know being aware of okay, where's where's my butt? Where's yep. the edge of the cover? Yep, um, you know, where's my hands? Are they still behind cover? Yeah, uh, all that becomes, I think, a lot more important. And yeah. again, you're we're, we're trying to do this in the dark, yeah, uh, might have been a little bit different in the daytime,
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's something to keep an eye on, you know, definitely something to keep an eye on to understand that position relative to cover versus what shots present themselves and how they present themselves. So that definitely created. A little bit of an order of operations. I mean, I tried to work like both sides of the target back and forth a couple of times rather than sweeping one side and then sweeping the other. And I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Um, you know, yeah. but it but it allowed me to remain with that tactical priority of what's visible, not necessarily what the closest target is. Where do I have cover from rather than who's closest? Because yeah. if I went to the closest target, I might have exposed myself to somebody who was blanking. So but I think yeah. that
0: was one of the other other things because the, the first guy at 12 o'clock was probably... Linear distance-wise, the closest target. Yep. Um, but if you engage that guy first, you were definitely exposed to the guy at 9 o'clock the whole time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I felt like, honestly, probably the most tactically sound run I made was when I hit the first guy with the rifle, immediately transitioned as I was going toward cover and hit the other guy on the right, got to cover, and then engaged the far guy on the left again, was probably the most tactically sound, Burn down the two closest dudes as you get to cover and go from there. Yep. So...
0: Yeah, uh, we're kind of maybe calling this, this drill the soup sandwich drill. Yeah, yeah I think a, that's a good name for it. It was part. a bad situation to yeah. be in. It was, yeah, if it was an actual situation.
1: Yeah, it would it, w- it would have been a really ugly problem to solve in the real world. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, things that came out of that, uh, definitely some you know positional shooting stuff and making sure that you uh, were moving where you need to be moving and out of where you just were. Um, make sure that where you're coming out was not where you came out and um, doing that and we talked about that a little bit but again really big deal um, some of those targets were a long way away and we ran this a lot with handguns as much as with rifles um, and I was really happy with how everybody was shooting and the hits that we were making um, a six by six target again doesn't seem like a real big deal until you're trying to shoot it from cover in the dark etc and you push it out to 30 yards then all of a sudden it's like wow that's an interesting little target um, and and I was I was really surprised how many Times we didn't have to paste, yeah. especially when I was shooting because I, you know, I talked about using the force, you know, there for a second. Yeah, um, I, I, we joke about you know, oh, use the force on that, or or you've done it enough times, you just kind of trust what you were seeing. Um, and even though it was dark and not perfect, you you press the shot because you were confident enough in the back of your little lizard brain to know, okay, that's that's as good as I'm going to resolve this. That's the shot I'm taking. Um, kind of like accepting your wobble kind of mentality.
0: Yeah, and actually to, to talk about that a little bit, uh, Chris actually changed up from running a 19 with an RMR on it to running a G45. Yeah, which is the the 9 millimeter with the 17 drip and the 19 top end. Yeah, uh, with iron sights, uh, I uh, did the opposite. Yeah, I went from normally running a 19 to running a 17 with a Holosun 507C. Um, using the circle dot on it, and then on the the, pist- the long gun had the um, Trijicon Accupower, um, which has kind of an EOTech reticle, EOTech yeah. style reticle. Um, it actually kind of ran into some mental juggling issues yeah. of, you know, mechanical offset becomes very important with the long gun. Um, not as important with the handgun, but looking at the same sight picture. Yep. Um, wanted to do mechanical offset things with the handgun and had to actually remind myself, okay, put the dot where you want the bullets to go with the handgun. Yeah. Um, so some some mental gymnastics. Yeah,
1: an inch of offset were, versus two and a half.
0: Were a little bit important, yep. um, especially shooting head boxes or... Yep. You know, making sure things were in that that six by six, especially at distance. Yeah, and
1: I would also say again, back to like your light issues. Um, you know, it's kind of nobody really noticed it until you said, "Wow, I'm pushing these a little bit high." And by a little bit high, I mean you're cutting the edge of the target, the edge of the hole, or running within an inch of the edge of the hole. And above that target is above that hole is a really bad place to get shot yeah. um, for the bad guys. So everything was centered up. It wasn't like you were pulling crap left or right or anything else. But it was an interesting observation that it's the same reticle, similar reticle, um, and, and gosh, I don't need to adjust for offset with that reticle. So uh, having said that, I still, you know, what, what was it, you know, Brian was saying about, was it Prank, Matt Pranka, was, you know, was saying that that's, you know, that's what, they, what he calls a close C um, that's still going to get work done. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a conversation, too, around, you know, guys out there that have done this kind of stuff for a living will tell you that, you know, yeah, you want all the perfect shots, all the perfect time, but the reality check is if you can get a good enough hit first and then fill it in with the rest, um, you're probably going to be in a good place. Those were all good enough hits that, you know, going to help you get towards solving the problem a lot faster. So giving up that little bit I don't think was a real big deal, but it's a note. It was, Yeah, it's it was a note.
0: definitely something that I became more aware of, I think, by the end of the, yeah. end of the training night.
1: Yeah, and adjusted. And adjusted, so, yeah. And again, I don't know. You know, sometimes those are things you see in that environment, in a low-light environment, too, that you don't necessarily see in the daylight. So, I don't know. I just think there's all, that brought some things to light, for sure. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't even know what else to touch on on that. We covered a lot of ground um, with, those, with those drills, and I really like the near-to-far aspect. I really like the change-up aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, that you know target target transitions are always good things to work on using covers are always good things to work on But generally we do so much like on one plane You know, yep. this is the distance we're shooting at right now and that that that's that in and a, and a lot of instructors A lot of top-notch instructors address that they address that. Hey, this is close. You can go fast Hey, this is far you need to not slow down. You just need to refine it um, be efficient and and that was a good reminder of all of those things in a few different ways um, so if you're out there playing around, you have the availability to use a facility that lets you shoot at different distances safely, um, you know, without violating any of their rules. By all means, take advantage of that. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, you might be able to go to some of the local indoor shooting ranges. If you had a buddy rent a bay and you run, or you know, a lane and you rented a lane, you might be able to run targets at different distances and switch back and forth between targets um, until somebody notices. Um, you know, if the RO notices, um, in all your groups are in a fist size group in the middle of the target on the far target, then they might not say anything. Um, but they may still, so yeah. be aware of that. And
0: on an indoor, you know, indoor range, if you're doing that, yep. what, what is actually beyond the target becomes very important. Yes. So you're not putting rounds on the wall and that kind yeah. of thing.
1: Yeah. Cause they won't just chuckle and go, Oh, look at that. You shot the wall. Um, they'll, they'll make you leave. Um, you're not supposed to shoot concrete walls anywhere. So don't do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and if you're listening and you were the guy that did it, don't do it anymore. It really made Steve mad. So, cool.
0: That's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as long as uh, the commie bastards at Facebook and Instagram let us stick around and don't ban volcanoes, uh, we will we will still be on there. Uh, we're using those platforms to try to post real-time inventory updates when we get stuff in. Um, yeah, please give us a follow uh, if you've left. Uh, we understand uh, we're trying to work out, you know, other platforms, but that seems to be a challenge on the infrastructure side for those platforms. Yep. Uh, we also do a newsletter. Uh, you can sign up for that on our website at capcityoutfitters.com. Right, and or, I,
1: I'm going to throw out there, too. Get it, you know, with, the, with how sketchy, you know, getting zooped or getting whatever, you know, that's happening right now. Um, if, if, you, if you get our newsletter, and it's something that you're not a newsletter person because it's a fairly static environment for, for media, um, it's really well written. So I'll throw the nod out to Brian because he does a great job every week. The contents, the, the writing's good, but the content's good information too. And if things do, do go sideways and we have to push into some other manner of media, that's where it's going to be broadcast from. Um, so, you know, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, with us or with other places where you get this kind of information. A lot of guys that put out a lot of amazing content on, on the interwebs right now, whether it's on the Gram or on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, um, you know, are saying, hey, you may want to go you know, get on my newsletter. Even if you don't read it, at least it's that repository for where I can go to to find the next place to meet up. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, these fascist assholes who call us fascists, um, are 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 pretty doggone effective at the moment, so we need to make sure that we're a step ahead of that, and this is the way to do it. So, yeah, here the, the PSA. So. Um,
0: yeah, if you if you don't if you can't sign up for it on the website, <clears throat> um, drop us an email to info at and we'll happily sign you up. Yep. For it, uh, we do on our website. You can find very important information such as how to do an FFL transfer, also how to purchase a suppressor via our portal on silencershop.com. Um, lastly, please visit us in the store. Um, we're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're right in front of Aldi's, we're directly next to Louie's Fusion Drill. Uh, we are still running COVID-related hours of 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. Um, yeah, we're doing our best to social distance and all that other stuff to keep Mini Mike happy.
1: Come join our protest.
0: Um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate it.